We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on the show on a Tuesday night. Hope everybody enjoyed their holiday weekend. Um, however, you may have spent it um, just uh, remembering the falling, fallen soldiers and everybody who served our country and the 1.3 million people who made the ultimate sacrifice for uh, our freedoms. Um, in tonight's episode, <clears throat> I'm going to take a do do a little bit more Q and A uh, from Twitter, some different questions um, from uh, from different uh, people. My coach's corner segment. I'm going to be talking about Brett Venables from Oklahoma. In the armchair quarterback segment, I'm going to ta- be talking about the FBS independent schools and the, their quarterbacks. Um, the pretty interesting group there um, with a pretty clear cut number one and number two. And then some battles going on in a lot of the other programs and then transfers um, as well. So that, that was a little interesting one to do some research on. Um, but also have to uh, want to lead off with <clears throat> the schedule releases that took place um, for, the, for all the television networks and teams getting their slots set up for when they're playing in week zero, week one, week two, week three. Um, so that's always fun to see things coming into sh- shaping up um, and allows for guys like me who, again, my ultimate goal is to attend a home game at, at every FBS home stadium, all 131 and counting. Um, obviously going to take a long time, but <clears throat> but with the schedule release, it allows me to start setting up a little bit of a schedule at least. So that's fun. Um, hopefully you guys are able to do that as well and get to as many games as you can this year. Um, just take it from me. It's it's the best experience you can have as a fan to just go to different venues and just, and just be a part of it. Um, I just love experiencing the stadiums and the atmosphere in the stadium. I'm not big on tailgating and doing all all that goes along with that. I just enjoy the traditions in the stadiums and just seeing everything that goes along with that. Uh, it's just a lot of fun with, to me. And uh, and again, that schedule release allows allows us to start setting that up. So let's uh, go ahead and dive into a couple of those questions that I had. And the first one being Iowa State obviously is having a big transition um, and for the running back and quarterback position. Obviously losing Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Um, two, they're obviously legends at Iowa State, but just two of the better players in college football the past couple of years. I mean, you have to. You then have to replace some guys who, who uh, 
have been there and done that as as players and and it's uh it's obviously going to be a task for them to to fill those holes and going to take a little bit of time to get things going in the right right direction I think obviously they'll have to play Iowa early in the year that is going to be a huge test for them um it, it, I mean I'd be crazy to say it's not going to be a hard transition I mean you lose two all-time greats in your program you're gonna it's gonna be a tough transition but I think in the long run they're gonna be okay because they've done a tremendous job recruiting um Campbell is a great coach he's he's done an amazing job there it's one of the hardest places to win and to bring in talent um but I will say I'm concerned for Iowa State this year I I really don't know if I'm, – I'm really hesitant to say that they can get to the six-win plateau for a bowl game. I, I, I think the transition could be that difficult for them. Um, again, you have that non-conference game every year against Iowa State, which, which looms large for them and makes it difficult for them. And then if I just – if I look at their schedule real quickly – um, they play SEMO, Southeast Missouri, at Iowa. They host Ohio, Baylor, at Kansas, Kansas State, at Texas, Oklahoma, West Virginia, at Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and at TCU. I just think it's going to be really hard for them to get to that six wins. I mean, I think, I think for where they're sitting, I think they really need a – I think they really needed – I mean, they're always going to play Iowa, of course. We know that, as they should. But I think this would be a year, if if any, <clears throat> where they would have need three very winnable non-conference games to get that confidence they need going, especially at that position, at both of those positions, but especially at the quarterback position. Um, I mean, somebody's got to step up. Obviously, I I think it's going to be. It's it's there's obviously going to be a competition going on for the positions, but um, if you told me to pick a quarterback for them, I got to say Hunter Deckers. Um, just from his pedigree, he was he was a highly touted um, quarterback coming out of high school. He's got a Probably has a, I mean, I would say he's got a stronger arm than Brock Purdy, and he can move a little bit. Um, so, he, so I would go with him, and then at running back, uh, I gotta say, Jahari Brock has got to be the guy, just because he's he's kind of filled in and and played the part. Um, he's a former four-star recruit, so. I think he's got to be the next man up there at that position. But but like I said, for this coming season, I'm concerned for them. But for the long haul, I think they're going to be just fine, especially in the revamped Big 12 um, with, with what's going to take place there. I think they're going to be able to handle things <clears throat> and be okay with that transition because, I mean – for this year, especially, I'm not as high as on Baylor as a lot of people are. I love Dave Aranda, but with them, 
with their decision at the quarterback position that it's just head scratching to me. So that kind of makes me question what they're doing. And but nonetheless, I, I think hesitant for for the very near future, but optimistic for the long haul is what I would say there. Um, a question then a next question going on to what are my thoughts on Virginia Tech and the ACC Coastal? Well, first I will talk about ACC Coastal as a whole. I think everyone is very high on Miami, and and I understand why. Um, just the pedigree, Mario Cristobal coming back, he's assembled an elite coaching staff. D- defensively, that coaching staff is prob- is almost unmatched. Um, but I am still not sold on Tyler Van Dyke. I, I'm really not. Um, I, I I don't know what it is, but I, he's still got to prove it to me. I think the bottom of the Coastal is very bad in Georgia Tech and Duke. Um, but I, I'm very high on Virginia. Brendan Armstrong and Tony Elliott as the new head coach, I think are going to be a winning combination there. They have... I mean, Brennan Armstrong, I, I personally think if Brennan Armstrong would have transferred. Now, Virginia's issues, they lost a ton of transfers. They had so many guys leave, and their defense is going to be rough. Um, but they had a lot of guys leave. But when you have an elite quarterback like Brennan Armstrong, you have a chance. And I think that, that I think that's going to help them a lot. I don't know if they're going to be better than Miami, but that's my one-two for sure. Um, right now I would lean towards Virginia just because I, I'm that high on Brennan Armstrong. I think he is, I think he's an amazing quarterback. Then the middle of the pack with Pittsburgh, North Carolina and Virginia tech, I think you could kind of <clears throat> have those three kind of flip flop, go, go either way. If I had to pick one to lead the group of three, I would say Pittsburgh just because of, I think Keaton Slovis is is going to do well there. I think a change of scenery is going to be good for him. No, they lose Jordan Addison, but I think they're going to be okay. Um, then North Carolina, Virginia Tech. I mean, North Carolina's recruited tremendously. Um, obviously, everybody loves Mac Brown. I mean, how can't you love Mac Brown? He's such a nice guy. Um, then Virginia Tech. I think. I think Brent Pry is a good hire. I really do. And he he understands the job. He knows what goes with it because he's been there and done that um, in the program. Um, but there's been a lot of inconsistency and erratic play from the team in the program. And there's still plenty of holes on the roster. So that's the only thing I question there. I The one thing I will say about Virginia Tech since that was – one of the main points I was asked to hit on in this question. I am a big fan of Grant Wells, their transfer quarterback from Marshall. Uh, he was he was tremendous at Marshall um, for t- for the past two years, and I, I really really think he's going to come in to do really good things. They also got Jason Brown coming in from South Carolina, um, who who can push him and make give some competition there Um, obviously virginia tech is known for their defense and i think that's what they're going to lean on this year as they usually do 
But but I think as in most elite Virginia Tech teams that we've seen in the past, defense and special teams and good running back play, obviously they need to fill the running back position. So that's going to be key for them. Um, but <clears throat> another guy to really that I'm really high on for them is linebacker Dax Holyfield. I, th- uh, I think he is a very, very good linebacker type of guy that just exemplifies that position at Virginia Tech. Um, I'm very intrigued. They open up the season Friday night at Old Dominion. Old Dominion's coming off a bowl game. They're transitioning. They're going to the Sun Belt. Um, It's going to be huge for them to host Virginia Tech, to have them coming in there. Um, so Virginia Tech's going to have their hands full in that game, and I think that's going to tell a lot there um, about about where they where they are and where they're heading. I mean, obviously they're going to be more talented than Old Dominion, but are they going to be able to? Can they take that punch that Old Dominion's going to give them? Um, and I think that's going to tell a lot. I, their, their season is going to hinge on. They go to North Carolina, to Pittsburgh, to NC State. They go to Liberty as well. And then they host Virginia. They host Boston College, host West Virginia, host Miami. So, I mean, there's a good mixture there, but some tough road games for sure. So, Old Dominion and Liberty being non-conference road games are going to be games that obviously in-state teams that really, really want to beat them. So, I think that's going to be huge for them. They... They host West Virginia this year. They lost at West Virginia last year. So I think it's a good opportunity for them to um, uh, turn that one around, kind of get them back for that last year. And I think they will. I think West Virginia is going to be – I mean, with JT Daniels, could make a difference for them at quarterback. But I think think it's going to mean a lot – to Virginia Tech to win that game. I think Virginia Tech definitely goes to a bowl game. Um, but they do have that tough road slate is going to be is going to be key. And I think if they're able to start strong, beat Old Dominion at Old Dominion, and then beat Boston College the next week at home, I think if they're able to do that, because Boston College is going to be very good this year, I think if they're able to do that, I think it sets them up really well um, to, to make a run in the Coastal Division, which – like I said, I, th- I I think Miami and uh, Virginia are the top two, but those next three of Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech aren't far off, honestly. I think it's pretty wide open, as it usually is in the Coastal. Um, then uh, next question, um, some head coaches on the hot seat. I, I came up with five, and then I got two more that I'm just going to throw in there as well. I'm going to start off with one of them that I did not list. This is just one that I'm just surprised hasn't happened yet with all the chaos that's gone on is Herm Edwards at Arizona State. I mean, the mass exodus that took place in the via the transfer portal there and a lot of the things that have come out this year with a lot of things going on in that program, it's just head-scratching that, that he hasn't been let go just with all the craziness going on there, um, which – I've been really surprised with just because of the the type of person Herm Edwards is or seems to be, um, but uh, just a, a real difficult situation there. Um, but I had to just throw that one in there before I started listing names just because that's one where I, 
where I'm just shocked it hasn't happened yet. I feel like feel like with what's gone on this off season that it that it could have happened any day, but for nonetheless it hasn't happened yet. I'll go number five. I'll go from five to one. I put number five. I'm going to go with uh, Dino Babers from Syracuse. Um, just hasn't performed to the level that that I feel like a lot of the expectations were at. Um, and and I feel like this is a make or break year for him and that program. Um, just a I mean, obviously it's a that's a difficult job. It's not it's not an easy job by any means. Um, but but still one where you feel like he he, he could have done something and they they had traction getting they beat Clemson. They they almost beat him last year. Um, just just some interesting things and then you look at their schedule this year. They open up against Louisville. And I think Louisville's going to be very good. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Malik Cunningham. And then they go to UConn. And I, that UConn game is going to be at night. That game is going to be huge for UConn fans and, and avid listeners to my podcast know my connection with Sidelines UConn and uh, how we work together during the season and everything. And I'm a big proponent of UConn football. And I think that that is a huge, huge, huge game for UConn. And if UConn wins that game, Syracuse could spiral out of control at that point. However, Syracuse does have one of the best players in the ACC and one of the best running backs in the country in Sean Tucker. He was nothing short of amazing last year. I mean, just – he. One of the best players in college football is the only way you can put it. I mean, just an amazing, amazing player. Um, just in a interesting spot. And you give I give him a lot of credit for not entering the transfer portal and sticking it out um, there. But that Dino Babers offense hasn't panned out at Syracuse where they've even slowed it down. And um, I actually, a side note, went to um, – Eastern Illinois when Jimmy Garoppolo was there to his spring game and watched that offense with Jimmy G running it. And it was, it was something special watching that. I mean, obviously a much different level, but still a fantastic quarterback running the offense nonetheless. But um, Syracuse, I think is, is uh, that UConn game's key. Cause I think they lose the opener to Louisville then at UConn, then they got Purdue and Virginia. I mean, it's gonna, it could be, it could be rough for them. Next up, next up on the list, I got another ACC coach, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Um, obviously, that's a difficult job too, but none nonetheless, you are in Atlanta, you are in Georgia, you should be able to recruit that straight state tremendously, and he just hasn't been able to do it. He brought in well, – I shouldn't say he hasn't been able to do it because he's brought in – like Jamar Gibbs went there. Obviously now he's transferred to Alabama. But he he was a tremendous player for them. And Jeff Sims at quarterback is pretty good, I, I feel. But they just lack so much everywhere else. And when, you, and when you're transitioning so much coming from the triple option that they ran – it's very difficult to get 
to that next level that they're trying to get to. So Jeff Collins is kind of the bridge guy there where it's going to, it's going to be difficult and he just hasn't, it hasn't panned out at all. Um, losing their opener last year to Northern Illinois, obviously it catapulted Northern Illinois into a fantastic season, but it spent sent Georgia tech spiraling. And I don't know if they can recover from that with, with, uh, the depleted roster that they're going to have now. So I, I would almost say that that one's kind of a given after this year. Um, number three, um, maybe a name that might surprise some people, but I think Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, um, only winning five games last year, everybody knows what Texas thinks of themselves. That fan base feels like they should compete, be competing for national titles every year. And college football is better as a whole when they are. Um, but that's going to come down to is Quinn Ewers going to be the guy that Texas thinks he is. Um, I'm not sold on him as I'm not sold on Sarkeesian as a head coach myself either. Um, but, I mean, I feel like he needs to be given more of an opportunity um, to succeed there. I mean, I, I, I feel if Texas doesn't make a bowl game this year, that would that would be shocking, though. I mean, I do feel they they should at least win six games. I mean, there's there's no reason that they shouldn't. Um, they got to go get over the Kansas hump. Um, but they host they host Alabama, which I think will definitely be a loss. I don't think it's going to be close. But the one the week after they host UTSA, and UTSA is going to be really really good. And UTSA is going to give Texas everything they can handle. And I feel like that is a game where Texas could have a bit of a hangover from the Alabama game. And UTSA is not somebody that you want to take lightly. Frank Harris, a quarterback, that whole offense is going to be tremendous. They're so well coached. that It's a really, really good team. And Texas is going to I, – I, I think they could be on an upset alert there. And if they lose that game – that's when I think it could be, there could be some uh, some callings from the boosters. Let's just say that. Uh, number two, I'm going with Brian Harzen from Auburn. Now, obviously he's only in year two, but this off season for him and that program for him personally, um, obviously he put himself in a terrible situation, making some terrible decisions and. Uh, he's got to figure that out in his personal life. Um, that's not for me to discuss, but um, but let's just talk about it from the football side. They should have lost to Georgia State. The, the officials gave them that game, um, and they, Auburn just wasn't very good. I mean, I know that they hung with Alabama, and they probably, if it wasn't for that last drive in overtime, last drive in the fourth quarter in overtime, like they – they were up ten to three late in the fourth quarter. Alabama had to go like ninety yards to win the to tie the game. So I mean, I understand that's one of the greatest rivalries in college football, and Auburn's going to play up because it's the Iron Bowl and all that. But they just weren't very good last year, and they got to figure that out. And that's another fan base, kind of like Texas, where they feel like they should be competing for national titles every year. Um, and I thought the Harrison hire from the get-go was head-scratching and perplexing. And it, it's been nothing but that since the get-go. But nonetheless, 
the number one, I think it's very obvious, um, the number one coach on the hot seat. And it feels like this is probably – he's on the list every year. But it's Scott Frost at Nebraska. I mean, if they don't go to a bowl game this year, then, I mean, I understand he's their chosen son being an alum and the quarterback of the national – their quote-unquote national championship team. Um, but – at the end of the day, you got to get results. And, I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't go to a bowl game this year. Um, but we've said that before, and we'll continue to say it until they do. They open up the season against Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland. Um, it's a game that they can win because Northwestern, you never know what North – Northwestern is one of the head-scratching teams in college football every year. They can look like the best team in the Big Ten – or at least the Big Ten West, or they look like the worst team in the conference, like last year. So you never know what you're going to get. But, again, Scott Frost in Nebraska is definitely number one on the list. And a guy that I'm going to throw out there I, I don't think should be, but if you're going by recency bias um, and how much he's getting paid, is David Shaw at Stanford. Stanford obviously has not performed to the level that Stanford has performed at for many years. Um, but last year they were terrible. They they didn't even compete in games. And David Shaw is either the second or third highest paid coach in college football. By no means do I think they should let him go or that he should be on the hot seat. But I'm just throwing it out there as – like I said, the recency bias and kind of how bad they were last year. I mean, they were horrendous last year. Then the last question I had, um, Lindy Sports released their college football preview this past week. Um, I went and purchased it already. Got the other ones coming in the mail, Phil Steele and Athlon Sports, and then Sideline Sports is going to have a great one coming out in July. I myself will be putting stuff out starting in mid-June. Um, every every day I'll release two programs and my breakdowns on them and how I feel like their season is going to go. Um, you can follow that on Twitter at TNT College Foot One. But uh, five quick takeaways that I had just from glancing through the magazine. I haven't gone in-depth looking at it yet, but I'll start with... Number one, I think it's, I think, I mean, you don't really need a preview magazine to tell you this, but I think it's very obvious that it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and everyone else this year. I, and I think that's, I think that's pretty apparent. I, I would even go as far to say as it's Alabama and Ohio State, especially with the two quarterbacks, that those are pretty clear who the two best teams are. I put Georgia in there because they are the reigning national champs and they have a very favorable schedule to go undefeated and to be undefeated going into the SEC championship game. Um, as long as they beat Oregon the first game of the season, but it's in Atlanta, so I would think so. Um, the second thing, um, they have Oklahoma as the number 10 team in the country in the top 10, which was a little head-scratching to me because I, ha I wasn't as high on them going into the season. However, when you look at their schedule, you can see why they possibly think that way. They do have a very, very favorable schedule, and I'll get into that when I do my breakdown of my Coach's Corner segment on Brent Venables. But 
the, their schedule sets up very nicely for them to have a very very good season again. They went eleven and two last year, um, and that was a down year for them. So, I mean, I know they got a lot of new faces, not only in the coaching staff but skill position throughout the roster. But it's still Oklahoma, and they still got guys who can play. That's for sure. So. After looking at that, after looking at their schedule and kind of seeing that, I'm like, hey, there might be something to that. Uh, number three, Cincinnati is still the top team in the AAC. For a little while, I've been thinking it's Houston, but I'm not going to take it away from Cincinnati until somebody takes it away from them. They've been so good the past couple years, and they're so well coached, and They've recruited so well that I'm not going to take it away from them until somebody takes it from them. Um, and they, Lindy Sports felt the same way, making them the top-ranked team in the conference. And I'm kind of feeling that way myself. Number four um, is a two-part thing. The Sun Belt teams are ranked far too low. Um, they put App State and Coastal, I believe it was 52 and 53 nationally which I think is drastically low. Louisiana is next up there. And Louisiana, I mean, they're on the longest winning streak in the country, and it's going to continue for a while if you look at their schedule. I mean, they're probably going to start the season 5-0. and until Then they go to Marshall. So, I mean, and they could win that. But they could be on an 18-game winning streak going to Marshall. So they're, they set up really well. I also feel like they ranked Louisville far too low. I kind of hinted to this earlier. I'm a huge fan of Malik Cunningham, and I, I would even go as far to say as he's a Heisman contender. I mean, he is electric at the quarterback position. I mean, he needs to throw the ball better and be more consistent, but when you see him play, you can see Lamar Jackson a little bit there. And number five is UConn is ranked 128th nationally by Lindy Sports. And I think that is a slap in the face to the UConn Huskies in the football program. And I understand people are going to talk about how poor they were the past couple years, blah, blah, blah. They lost to Holy Cross. That one is all on Randy Etzel. We, I've talked about that many times. Um, but UConn will n- not be the 128th team in the nation out of 131 teams. They're going to win four or five games, if not more. And they're going to do something special. The Husky Revolution is for real. So there's that. And I am now going to go into my Coach's Corner segment, which I've already said is going to be about Brent Venables and the University of Oklahoma. Now, for many, many years, Brent Venables has been the best coordinator, assistant head coach in college football. I don't think that's been debatable. Uh, he won the Broyles Award as the best assistant in 2016. And probably since 2016, he's been the best coordinator or assistant coach in college football. I mean, his his accolades speak for themselves. I mean, he was a linebacker at Kansas State, became a GA at Kansas State, then became a linebacker coach at Kansas State under uh, Snyder, then moved on to Oklahoma as a co-defensive coordinator and a linebacker's coach and then became the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma 
from 2004 to 2011, had some amazing success under Stoops, did some great things. Then he was able to move on to Clemson, same role, defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, um, from 2012 to 2017, then was promoted in 2018 to assistant head coach, along with his defensive coordinator and linebacker roles from 2018 to 2021. And then... <clears throat> I, I can only imagine how many schools offered him a job. Um, but he's been so good that he could just sit back and wait for the perfect one for him. And I think Oklahoma is the perfect spot for him with his connections to that area, playing at Kansas State, coaching at Oklahoma for almost for over 10 years. I mean, almost 15 years. So as an assistant and – Obviously, I think he's going to do tremendous things there, but just uh, just a tremendous hire by Oklahoma. They they hit a home run there. Um, then, as always, I kind of look at I look at the last year's schedule and this year's schedule. And Oklahoma is going to be a hard team to gauge from last year to this year because they lose so many guys via the draft and the transfer portal. They bring in a ton of guys, but it is going to be interesting to see. And plus, Oklahoma was at the quarterback position last year with Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams was a completely different team in both circumstances. They started the year very questionable against Tulane. They they probably should have lost that game, too. There was some questionable officiating calls towards the end of that game, too. They won by five. Then they... They blasted Western Carolina. They beat Nebraska by f seven. And Nebraska really made that a game. Um, I remember watching that. That was a, actually a pretty good football game. And then they beat West Virginia by three. They won at Kansas State by six. I mean, I think everybody saw the what they did to Texas at the end of that game and how they were able to come back, what Caleb Williams was able to do in that game. Um Turned around the next week, beat TCU. They won at Kansas, even though Kansas played their hearts out that game. Um, beat Texas Tech. Then they lost at Baylor by 13. They beat Iowa State. Then they lost the Bedlam game to Oklahoma State. Um, <clears throat> some questionable officiating that game, too, but they lost by four. They turned around, won the Alamo Bowl against an uh, injury and pretty depleted Oregon team. Um, but they still handled them. So, again, they went 11-2. and two. Most programs, that is an unbelievable season. Obviously, at Oklahoma, your national championship or bust, uh, or college football playoff or bust. Then you look at their schedule this year, and this is why I said that that top 10 ranking isn't crazy because their schedule is very favorable. They host UTEP and Kent State to start the season. Then they go to Nebraska. Again, Nebraska is going to be better. Um, Nebraska is going to play their hearts out in that game. And Nebraska is the type of team, like, they're in every game. We know that. We know the stats when it comes to that for them. Um, then they turn around the next week, and they play a team who has been a thorn in their side for many years and a team who I am very, very high on in a team who I think can really win the Big 12 in Kansas State. Um, Kansas State has won in Norman to beat Oklahoma. They've beaten them in Manhattan, Kansas. 
Kansas State has been an issue for Oklahoma. And this Kansas State team this year, I think, is going to be one of the best Kansas State teams in a very, very long time with a guy who I think is the best running back in college football and Deuce Vaughn. And then I think Adrian Martinez is going to do wonders in a new system there. So I, I, I got that game circled as a game where Oklahoma could lose as well as at Nebraska just because of what that game means. Then the next week they go to TCU. I think they can handle that. Then they got Texas in the Red River rivalry. You already know what that's going to be. It's going to be crazy back and forth. Then they host Kansas, go to Iowa State, host Baylor, go to West Virginia, host Oklahoma State, and then they go to Texas Tech. So, I mean, you look at it. And you look at the teams that are going to be the top teams in the Big 12, Kansas State, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma State. All of those games they play at home, or in the Texas case, the neutral site, as they always do. But the other teams, they're all playing in Norman, Oklahoma. So it sets up really, really well, I think, for Texas, for, or for Oklahoma, I'm sorry, for Oklahoma to really make a run at this in as crazy as it seems to potentially be in the running for the college football playoff just because of how their schedule sets up. Then, of course, you know, with the recruiting cycle, they, they had the second best recruiting class in the conference, 10th um, overall, um, very high transfer portal rating, but they, they had a lot of guys leave as well. I mean, obviously Caleb Williams left. There are a ton of other guys left, but, um, the number one guy that everybody's going to look at in the portal for them is Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, a big, big time get for them. Um, his numbers at UCF are tremendous. I think he's going to do great things there. Um, some other guys that I feel like are going to do really well for them in the offensive line, McCade Mator from Cal is going to come in, be the, one of the guys there on the defensive line, Jonah, Jonah Laul from Hawaii is another guy I think he's going to come in and do wonders for them. Um, just they, they did a good job in the portal. Another defensive lineman coming from the G5, uh, Jeffrey Johnson from Tulane, big time get for them. Um, really good player. Um, then at the wide receiver position, LV Buckley Shelton never really was as good as advertised at Arizona State. But can he do it at Oklahoma? I think there's a there's a possibility there. Javion Hester coming from Mizzou, on another same situation. Didn't really live up to his four-star hype at Mizzou, but can he do it at Oklahoma? They also got a quarterback transfer, Davis Bevel from Pittsburgh, and then maybe the best name in college football coming from the JUCO ranks, um, quarterback General Booty. So, um, but obviously. They did a tremendous job in the transfer portal, and uh, obviously they lose a ton, but they're going to be well coached. I think they have a guy who's in it for the long haul, unlike Lincoln Riley, obviously. Somebody who I think is going to be ready when it comes to their transition to the SEC. And like I said, their schedule this year sets up really well for them. Um so I, I I think I think they're gonna make some noise this year. Whereas initially I didn't think they would. But so now let's transfer into or transition into 
um, my armchair quarterback segment where I'm ranking I, weekly. I've been ranking quarterbacks for each conference going in ABC order. Now I'm going to the FBS independence where there are seven schools, BYU, Liberty, Notre Dame, UConn, New Mexico State, UMass, and Army. Um, obviously, Notre Dame is on another level compared to the rest of the rest. Of, I say that, but BYU is, I mean, BYU is never going to be on Notre Dame's level as a, in the hierarchy and as a program, but BYU is about to be in the Big 12. So great opportunity for them. And I will just start with the quarterback, just go into number seven. Um, the only reason I have this program ranked at number seven is just because of how they use their quarterbacks. They don't, obviously, the triple option, you're not asking your quarterback to make many throws. Um, so I put Army's quarterback situation at number seven. They used the two-quarterback system last year, and both guys graduated. Um, so I think the two guys this year will be Tahir Taylor, who had 486 rushing yards and seven touchdowns last year, completed a couple passes. He saw some action last year, but I think he's going to be the number one guy. Um, good runner. Um, and then Cade Ballard, who's an up-and-coming sophomore in the program, uh, I think they're going to use that two-quarterback system again just from some of the research I've been doing. Um, and, and you know, like, Army's system is different. The triple option, and Army is, Army is one of the best at it. Um, so that's why I have their quarterback situation at number seven, just because it's different than what you're asking everybody else to do. Uh, Five and six, I think you can flip-flop, go either way. I put UMass at number six, um, and I'll get to why I put New Mexico State at number five in a minute. But UMass has kind of two guys fighting for the job. There's the Mar Wise, who's a run-pass option. I think he's going to probably win the job, but just because he gives that option of both. Um, but Juco transfer Gino Campietti uh, had a really really good spring for them so I think he he's gonna get he could potentially win the job as well um, it's another one of those where I said that there's gonna be competitions at a lot of these schools for jobs um, UMass is definitely that um, then at number five I went New Mexico State um, another there's going to be a battle for the job, but I think it's pretty apparent to me who's going to win the job. Uh, Diego Pieva, um, he's a JUCO transfer from New Mexico military, um, but he won the national title at the JUCO national title last year, and that's the only reason why I put New Mexico State ahead of UMass in this situation because the guy who I think is going to win the job is coming off of winning a JUCO national title. I think either one could go either way. They play each other, so we'll be able to see it. But uh, I think just from the experience that Diego brings, winning a national title through three touchdown passes in that game um, allows New Mexico State to at least have a guy that can do some things at that position where they necessarily haven't had that in the past couple of years. Next up, I'm going with... Taquan Roberson at UConn. So number four, I'm going with Taquan Roberson from UConn. He is a Penn State transfer to UConn. Um, the 
highest ranked recruit that UConn has ever got in this case. I mean, he played in a couple games last year for Penn State when Sean Clifford was hurt. He was thrown into a really, really tough situation at Iowa. Um, but he's coming into UConn, and he's going to be the guy. I mean, T- Steve Krajewski just transferred to Georgia State. Um, Cade Milan is transferring in as well from Northern Arizona. He was originally at Oregon. They have a highly touted quarterback coming in from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas out of Florida. But, I mean, you bring in a guy like Taquan Roberson for one reason, and that's for him to start. He has got an amazing deep ball. He obviously can run a little bit. But I think he he's something that UConn's been missing for, a past, for the past couple of years. And uh, – He's gonna do. I think he's gonna do some amazing things for the Huskies, and he's a big, big, big time get for them. And the only reason I didn't have him higher on the list is because the top three, uh, number three, might surprise some people. I'm going with Notre Dame's quarterback situation. And the only reason I put them at three instead of four is because the two guys that are vying for the job. I mean, there's a reason why they're at Notre Dame. I mean, they're four or five-star recruits um, at the quarterback position. I mean, obviously, neither have a ton of experience. Um, and their success could really hinge the Irish's season this year. But the two guys vying for the do- job are Tyler Butchner and Drew Pinn. Um, Butchner played some last year. Uh, he's a really good running threat. Saw a good amount of action as a running quarterback last year, I think he he is the guy who gives them the best opportunity to be successful um, in the long haul. But he does have an injury history, so there is that. Uh, Drew Penn has a ton of talent, ton of talent. I mean, he 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 honestly is probably the he's the better player, but he had a really rough spring. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that battle goes. And I think that battle is going to go on till right before the first game. I mean, and they play at Ohio State, so whoever gets thrown in there is being thrown to the wolves. Um, but, again, these guys are at Notre Dame for a reason. But I will say, Taquan Roberson at UConn could finish higher. I am that high on Taquan Roberson. Um, at number two, I'm going Charlie Brewer from Liberty. He is a transfer from Utah. <clears throat> he went one and two last year as a starter. And then Utah made the switch to Cameron Rising and looked like a national title contender after that. I will say, Charlie Brewer, if he returns to his form of the big numbers he put up when he was at Baylor, Liberty has a steal, transitioning from Malik Willis. Um, I think he's going to transition back to that form from Baylor, and I think he's going to do great things at Liberty. I mean, I know he's not going to have the job handed to him at Liberty, but, I mean, you don't bring a guy from P5 program in for no reason. So I, I think he's going to go revert back to that form that he had at Baylor and do some great things. Then number one, I think it's pretty clear who number one out of the independent schools is, and it's Jaron Hall from BYU. He's the guy. He's the lone guy coming back from any of these schools. So I mean, it, I think it's very apparent that he's the number one guy 
Um, threw for over 2,500 yards, 20 touchdowns. Ran for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he's a dual threat guy. And BYU could have an amazing season. Their schedule is difficult, but if they're able to, if they're able to run the table, I mean, if they do that, they're going to the playoff for sure. Because I mean, they play Baylor, Oregon, Boise State. I mean, Arkansas. Like that, their schedule is difficult, um, but. Jaron Hall is going to be one of the main reasons why because they have a lot back and they're going to be able to do some really good things and it could be special. And he has a lot to do with it. Uh, Well, that's the end of tonight's episode. Uh, Again, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, Please feel free. Reach out to me at any time. The podcast Twitter account at TNT CollegeVote 1. As you can see from this episode, I answer a lot of questions that are asked of me and uh love talking with everybody interacting with everybody and uh getting to know more of the fan bases as i get ready to travel the country to go to games uh, feel free to also reach out to me personally at coach underscore b will um, feel free uh, uh, again you're you're able to uh support the podcast uh if you give donations to me uh to be able to travel uh, would pre everything's appreciated. Um, also, I have my uh, online merch store. Um, you can reach you can uh, reach that through uh, the bio of our of the Twitter account. Um, always feel feel free to do that. Like and subscribe. Follow on Spotify wherever you listen to your podcast. And again, thank you guys so much. Have a good night. God bless.